This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. Anybody who is able to really own their loss, own their challenge, own their grief, and stand proudly in it, regeneration is a better word. And so I've currently moved beyond recovery, and I'm talking to um, others who are in this space as well about regeneration which again, the entomology is to be formed or created again, to be spiritually restored, reborn to a better, higher, or more worthy state, to be radically changed for the better. Welcome to FemPower Health, Georgie here. Imagine in one instant, your entire life changing. And this is not due to a sudden death, but something else such as Alzheimer's disease or finding out that your spouse is having an affair. The life that you once thought you had is now gone. This is Ambiguous Grief, and I am pleased to bring to you today the author of Soul Broken, Stephanie Sarazen. Let's start with her story. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this really important topic of ambiguous grief. And and I must uh, admit, yesterday was a really hard day for me. I think subconsciously, a part of it was, am I going to make it through today without crying my eyes out? But I also learned about myself that I tend to panic in advance of big events, and then I'm fine in the middle of it. So I, I think I'm actually okay. But reading your book, Soul Broken, um, about ambiguous grief. I mean, it it brought up so much for me, but it was also such a helpful, helpful book. And so I'm really looking forward to this. I know that people in the FemPower Health community have been looking forward to this conversation. Also this weekend, it's the, I don't even know how many years, I don't even want to count, honestly, but it's the anniversary of my mother's death. And that's not ambiguous, but just from the adding of losses thing. Um, so I really appreciate this conversation because this, there have been so many of us um, who've struggled in life with various things. And I think, you know, even in your book, you're saying we haven't really helped people understand ambiguous grief. Um, and so just to kind of iterate that point, then I want you to give your background and your own def- your definition as well. But this quote, I think, is a good one to start with. When who we have lost is so deeply connected to who we are, when we are inextricably linked, not only to a person, but to our connection to them, such loss stretches beyond being heartbroken to being soul broken. A lot of quotes in here that I want to talk about today, but so I don't know if you want to start with your reaction and and maybe weave that into who you are and, and your background. Sure. Well, thank, firstly, thank you, Georgie, for having me. And thank you so much for the important work you're doing in bringing these important conversations 
into the world. I found a great benefit and I've learned a lot from listening to you and, and I'm delighted to be joining you in conversation today. And thank you for sharing the reality of your trepidation coming into today and um, you know, just the, the, the emotions, the feelings uh, that this stirred up, even in you know, expectation of the time um, as it relates to your mom and your mom's death. And thank you for sharing for sharing that. It's something that, you know, I have learned that isn't easily shared and isn't often shared as much as perhaps it could be. So um, thank you on all of those accounts. Um, and yeah, that is that's my definition of soul broken. You know, as a little bit about my background is um, that I am new to the grief space uh, as of about seven years ago. I have a master's degree in public policy and spent most of my career in nonprofit management. Uh, the grief grief research and, and writing about grief isn't something that I aspired to do. I don't know if it's something anyone aspires to do, maybe, but it wasn't something I aspired to do. Um, rather, it was something that like, you know, many innovations, I suppose, fit a need. I had been married for 20 years in a in a relationship I adored, in a marriage I loved. One day changed everything. Uh, and I write about this in the book. I made a discovery that showed me that my reality wasn't what I thought it was and that my marriage wasn't what I thought it was. And that led to uh, divorce and uh, immediate grief and depression and all of the things. And, you know, I didn't know what it was I was experiencing. I felt like a widow, but I wasn't being treated like one. And I mean that with absolutely no disrespect to people who have endured the absolute heartbreak of losing their partner, their spouse to death. That is a an incredibly difficult experience to endure, and I honor that. And and for me, I had I had lost my person, and yet there really was very little happening around me. You know, no casseroles being brought over. Um, uh, you know, so certainly I had the, the love and support of my friends and family once I finally told them what had happened. But, you know, that alone, Georgie, took me three months. And realizing that, I started to think there's something different about this grief because, of course, had my loved one died, I would have notified, died a physical death, I should I should clarify, I would have notified everyone immediately and started right away on, you know, plans for a funeral, right? Um, but when I came to learn, when our loved ones die, when a relationship, an important relationship changes or breaks, this is an experience of grieving that is onset by loss when the loved one is still living, but not as they once were, we often think of grief as a, you know, something that happens in relation to death or that death is a prerequisite to grieving. But that's not true. What I, what I slowly began to understand is that I was grieving, but my 
period of grief was ambiguous. I didn't have societal norms to engage in. I didn't, you know, a funeral or a eulogy, for example. My friends and family around me didn't know what to do. Had, again, had there been a physical death, we, you know, kind of know what to do for one another. But this was different. It was divorce. And and so the norms are, are different. And so ultimately, this started me on a long, arduous journey looking for my own healing. Truly, I was looking to feel better. I was in bed for six months. I was in deep depression, experiencing just about every feeling I could, I could imagine. And, and as I started to become more curious about how I could heal, how I could feel better, how I could return to the me that once was, I, I just really got curious. And my curiosity led me to reaching out to authors. I read so many books. I watched every Super Soul Sunday ever made. I uh, devoured TED Talks. I was just filling myself with information, looking for help on how to heal. And uh, spoiler alert for everyone, I will say, quite to my dismay, I learned that we cannot intellectualize ourselves out of grief. Boy, I was really hoping there was something I could figure out that if just, you know, if I did this and that, then voila, right? It would be okay. Um, but the reality was, in the very beginning, what I found was very few people were willing to even talk to me about ambiguous grief, not knowing that was the name, right? I, I was divorcing. I had experienced betrayal trauma. I, I might have said, oh, who, who do you know? Could you have anybody, a friend I could talk to? How did they get through this? And of the, of the handful of trusted friends I asked, nobody knew. And I slowly began to understand that it wasn't that, of course, I wasn't the only person experiencing this devastating form of grief, but that people don't talk about it. And we don't talk about it, I've come to learn, because we don't want to be talked about. And it isn't just divorce or betrayal, uh, like my personal situation, that keeps grievers in this ambiguity and isolating, right? Um, if we're internalizing feelings of shame or embarrassment, we don't want to talk to anybody about it, right? Of course, which is why I waited three months before I told anybody. What's I think about that now and I'm just still so, over, so overwhelmed with the thought. But what I eventually found, I started to do some research and put together a survey, posted it online. Very quickly, I had 400 respondents uh, 94 of whom said with indication, yes, I am currently experiencing or have experienced the loss of a loved one who is still living. And I began then to think about who else might be experiencing this and, and what has onset their grief. And what I found was that divorce is just one of many activating events that put people in a position of grieving with ambiguity where our grief is not recognized, validated, witnessed. And therefore, it's often very much never processed yep. in a healthy way. And so that my own desire to heal became the impetus for 
what later became the um, co-authoring of the ambiguous grief process model uh, and the book Soul Broken, a guidebook for your journey through ambiguous grief, which is the book I wish I would have had seven years ago. It's what I was looking for. And and my hope is that it helps others who find them themselves in this state too. I even think actually applications to fertility journeys, miscarriage, <laughs> like I, I went through four years of infertility and I will say like, I just kept saying, I need to know when I'm going to get closer to the light at the end of the tunnel. The hardest part is not knowing when. I knew there would be a light. I'm like, is it three months? Is it three years? Is it 20 years? Like I, I, it was just, what I love about this book is you, you do such a beautiful job in putting words to things. Here's one. Uh, and, and, and I say this too, because after I got married or after I became a mom, I went to friends and I apologize. Like I was the worst friend when you had your baby or when you got married because I hadn't been there. I have no idea what you need, right? So until you're in someone's shoes, it's it's really, really hard. But I, I this one actually, um, I guess really not a laugh out loud, but a, but just kind of a, oh my God, this is so right. So without knowing what we're supposed to say, we use someone else's words instead and send a store-bought sympathy card as our ambassador. Sometimes we are so uncertain of what to say or do that we do nothing at all. Or maybe we do the accepted minimum and heart a post. Now, I think every single one of us can say, mm, yep, I sure did. And, and you labeled this the grief cooties. <laughs> so I have to say like some very right. like, oh my God, this is such the right wording. And then the labeling just made me laugh. So that that was my laugh out loud. Thank so. you. <laughs> I'm so glad you're laughing with me. Yes, that's exactly how I felt. And thanks for sharing um, about your, your infertility journey, because that is disenfranchised grief. That's grief that is so personal and so valid and, and so often not acknowledged. And and so thank you for sharing that. And I, I think the more that we as women especially are able to own that truth and share it, the more um, empowered we really do help one another become in, in owning our place in it. And it's so hard to say, oh, gosh, if only I knew. Oh, if I only knew this for three months or three years, great. Just give me that timeline and I'll figure it out. And that's how I felt too about the grief experience was, okay, how much time do I need to put into this, right? Well, how long is this going to take? Because this does not feel good. I do not like it. And of course, that is not in my control. I don't know, right? What It's not up to, it is up to me to determine how long it takes to move through my grief. But it's so subjective to everybody and to every single loss. Just like with fertility, you don't know. You just, you have to go through the experience to get your answer. And we're not taught how to help one another grieve. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, those folks who send the store-bought cards as their ambassador, the friends who uh, don't know what to say, so they say nothing, they're not bad people. These aren't innately bad people. We're good, I believe. And yet it's just not in our familiarity in the same way you didn't know what it was like until you became a mom. You don't know how it might be such a gifted treasure to show up at your friend's door and say, did you want to go to 
take a shower and run out for an hour while I stay here with the baby. What? Right? What a gift. But you don't know until you know. So when we do know, let's do better. When someone's going through something, I say, I haven't been in your shoes. So I literally have no idea even what to offer. So please know I'm here and let me know what you need. But if I come up with an idea, I will come to you. Yeah, absolutely. And and just this may not be everybody's answer, but for me, I was hyper fixated on, well, where are my casseroles, right? You know, when growing up, however we grow up, how we see people in our community support one another. In my Midwestern upbringing, it was you drop off a lasagna, right? And a salad, you just put it on the doorstep with a card or something in addition to, you know, the... um the additional things one might do for their loved one. But I wasn't, I had very, very little of that. And, and I thought that was peculiar, right? Why, why is this not being acknowledged? I am heartbroken and grieving, but how were they to know that? Really? They'd not been through it. They'd not been in my shoes. And, and this is where the grief cooties come from, right? What I found is that in so many instances, it seemed to me that people were either wanting the details salaciously, or they say nothing because the idea of however they're internalizing what my experience might be, they don't want it. They don't want it for themselves. Yes. Right. And, and of course, grief, like, you know, menopause is not contagious. It is not something that you're going to catch because a a dear friend is going through the experience, but also grief like menopause is a very natural and normal process that is involved with life yep. right and the longer we're living the the higher our our probability that we're going to have that experience by the way for anyone who's uh, missing the menopause comment in case it got edited out earlier we were talking about how someone went to one of my podcast interviewees and asked if all women catch the menopause and so we we're having quite a bit of laughter about that so that's where that comment came in in case you're wondering Um, you know, what I also like about the book is how I I had some moments where I'm like, I want to be in your therapist's office because you were like, I'm so (laughs) mad at her. Like you were mad. You were so annoyed with her advice and you write about it. You're like, I didn't want to hear this. Mm -hmm. I'm ignoring her. Um, but I think it's important to have shared that journey because like, you know, even having this discussion in the podcast, I hope no one, and I'm assuming no one's naive enough to think this, that, you know, we're, here's our cure-all pill, like listen for an hour. And at the end of this, um, we'll be cured. Cause I, as you know, it's, it's really tough. And I know that everyone, um, gets that, but you know, you'd go through all the details, like my favorite one, the sex monster camp. Um, it was not a sex camp, everybody. It was not a sex camp. Um, can you tell the story of that real quick? That was so funny. (laughs) Sure. Sure. And I love that you brought up my therapist, Amy, who has been my greatest champion and who really pissed me off to be frank in all of her, uh, especially early on with her suggestions about, um, what I might consider, Right. And again, I was looking for the cure-all. I was looking for, no, no, Amy, just give me the timeline. No, 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 Amy, just, I need the steps, blah, 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 blah. Just what do I need to do? And you're right, Georgie, it is, that's not how it works. And we really do need to surrender, you know, to the experience. And so 
one of the many things that um, Amy was right about that I uh, initially didn't want to hear was that I needed to find my people. And we all have our people. And as it relates to grief, our people are the people who understand our grief. You know, Georgia, you mentioned that your mom has died and, and my mom has not. And I don't know what it's like to, to grieve the loss of my mother to death. And yet other women who do will be able to understand you and understand the nuances because grief is so nuanced depending on who we have lost, how we have lost them, what factors came into play and how our grief was witnessed. If it was witnessed or recognized, all of this informs how we can help to heal and being understood is such a gift. So when mother's day comes around, I would imagine that that might bring up a range of emotions for you, right? Because while you're being celebrated as a mother, you're missing yours. So how we interact with our grief and the people who understand our grief can be a really important step toward recovery. And when I say recovery in the terms of grief, in the context of grief, what I mean is that you know, recovery in this context is a, is a return to um, kind of your own homeostasis, but with the ability to integrate your loss and manage it as a part of your life without expectation or desire or prolonged longing, working an effort to get that back. You know, I, I learned this back to your question about sex monster camp, which again, is not about sex. <laughs> It was for, um, it was Amy helping me find my people, which were women who had either been, who either had made the discovery of infidelity or who had been disclosed the, the reality of infidelity in their marriages. I was delighted to find that there were other women out there like me. I felt like I had been on an island of, you know, just in isolation for so long. And I was, I was not willing to share information with just anybody uh, because it was so deeply personal and I didn't want judgment of anybody involved in the situation. I wanted to know how to heal. That was my bottom line. I found a terrific, with Amy's help, found a terrific uh, workshop that a week long workshop out in Arizona that was uh, for just that healing intimate treason uh, was the, the title of the workshop and being able to, to be in the presence of others for a week who had under, who understood my grief, not only did they understand, but I finally felt understood. And no matter what you might be grieving or who you might be grieving or why, this is such a gift and it's an important one along the process of healthfully moving forward. Why was it called Sex Monster Camp? Uh, of the of the incredible women that I I was with for that week and, and I'm I do just want to add it was it was such um a rewarding experience for me to see to see women like me and unlike right. me. 
women who had been married for 50 years, women who had been married for five years. And, you know, we can't compare our grief. We can't come any more than we can compare our marriages. You know, it, it is what it is for each of us. And uh, there was one uh, attendee who has become my dear, dear friend, who I call Maya in the book. And Maya's husband was not happy that she was going to find some support after discovering um, her husband's double life. And, and he uh, really did a lot of love bombing over that week, though our phones were turned off during the day at nighttime. It had come up more than once that um, you think I'm a monster. I can't believe you're at this place. Uh, must be nice to be at this camp. You're at sex monster camp. And you're all talking about your sex monsters. And when she shared this with us, it was just such a moment of levity that uh, really helped to bond our group. And um, although that was uh, six years ago, we are still um, in frequent communication with one another. And I tell the story of our group uh, in chapter two. And uh, Maya and I talk daily, in fact. So, you know, you just never know where you're going to find people who understand, but it's so important that we're open to how we might find them. And I agree about finding my people, that there are so many nuances that finding the right group to help with that nuance is so critical to being able to get through things. But I do also want to get to a quote that you shared, which is um, you define the feeling state of grief as the shit show shanty town. So again, lots of fun in your book, but I mean, it's true. It really is basically like a shit show. But the other piece I think is, is really important is we all want to recover. We all want to be filled with hope. But you say something really important here, which is when hope is misdirected, it is as dangerous as it is good. So talk to us about that. Feeling your grief is a shit show because there is no timeline. It is very uncomfortable, destabilizing period for so many. And I do want to make just one important point about that before I move on to, to, to answering your question about hope. You know, what I discovered in my research, my initial research, and then my ongoing research is that an overwhelming amount of us don't even know that what we are experiencing is grief. And so many different activating events can can cause, kind of, you know, activate this um, grief within us and, and around us. Divorce, as I mentioned for myself, but dementia, um, addiction, incarceration, estrangement, uh, gender identity, mental health, or indoctrination, you know, think, think of, you know, cults or gangs, when somebody we love and are in relationship with us for whatever of any of those reasons breaks or changes, while they have not died a physical death, the relationship has died or drastically changed from, from what it once was. And it becomes such an incredible, heavy experience where we're feeling all of these things. You know, the Kubler-Ross model, which which suggests we experience um, anger, denial, bargaining, uh, acceptance, 
you know, depression. Those are all things that I was experiencing too. And yet I was experiencing so many more and none come in a neat, tidy timeline. They don't come, you know, continuously one after the next there. It's nonlinear. But if you don't know that estrangement from, you know, your best friend or your son's substance abuse disorder or your mother's Alzheimer's diagnosis or your your brother's incarceration, whatever it might be where your relationship has changed and there's been a death in that relationship as it once was, you too may not realize that what you're experiencing is an ambiguous grieving process. You're grieving, but it we don't know it, right? Because we're not taught to identify it in this way. And this has real serious implications because, of course, grief has long been studied, you know, uh, for decades now. And, and what we know is that it includes emotional, there are emotional and physical ailments that accompany grief um, often. And most of most commonly what those continue, what those present to be are um, depression, irritability, trouble sleeping, um, anxiety, um, loss of appetite or overindulgent eating, recurring bouts of angerness or bitterness or, you know, um, bursts of resentment that kind of pop up out of nowhere. And these are all what doctors, what scientists have studied and, and say, you know, is, is normal to happen within, it's acute grief, which happens for about six to 12 months, speaking of timelines, right? So a, a loss happens. We know that these are normal experiences for about up to a year. Persistent grief is something that is, you know, a year plus. And imagine, you know, having an estrangement, having any one of these, the, the number of activating events I mentioned, but not realizing that what we are experiencing is is grief and that it's normal. This, as we know, stress is, is dangerous for us, right? Compounded stress isn't good for our bodies or, you know, for our mental or physical bodies. And, uh, it can have serious health consequences. So the first step in understanding your grief is to recognize that your behaviors, the, the way that you're feeling, the way that you might be activated some some events or smells or dates or what have you might activate these experiences in you that's grief and it's normal it's a normal response to loss and once we can recognize that what we're going through is grief then we can actually look at how to move forward healthfully and and you know adopt some coping mechanisms like finding your Amy, right? Finding somebody who you can talk to through therapy to process it. So it can help to make sense and you can, you know, start to move that energy out of your body. Gentle exercises too, like yoga and Qigong, um, Tai Chi, that helps to move it too. And, and there are a, a series of things that you, that we can do for ourselves that are proactive in, in helping to manage our grief. But first step is that we have to be able to acknowledge it and if it's ambiguous grief, right, which was really the, the the question you teed up, is in addition to all of those things that the Kubler-Ross model addresses, what I was able to identify in myself came in large part from sitting so intimately with the women from Sex Monster Camp and seeing over 
we had, we spent a week together initially. And then for the next two years, we met, um, on our, on our own organized retreat at a resort for, um, for a week and spent time, you know, sharing and catching up with one another. And what I was able to tease out, I could, I could, it was just one of those things, you know, when it's on the tip of your tongue and you're like, what is that? I see it. I can feel it. I can sense it. What is it? It's hope. So for people who are experiencing ambiguous grief, it is hope that our life, our loved one will return as they once were. We'll get out of this horrible, uncomfortable feeling and move on. And, and what I found was that, yes, we need hope. Hope is a beautiful thing. And, and I, I love to quote Emily Dickinson, who's known for her beautiful poetry on hope, which says something that and I, I probably won't get this verbatim, but hope is the thing with feathers that sits on the soul and sings a tune all day long and never stops at all. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. And and for me, that brings about the imagery of, you know, Cinderella's bluebird just chirping away. We need hope. We need hope. Don't leave me hope. Hope is that which is feeling of expectation. It's longing. It's desire. And we need that in this human experience, which can be so hard. And the reality is that it's not reality. Right. And again, just circling back to understanding that it is up to us. It's our directive how we heal. If we heal, it's our directive and how we engage with our grief, um, how we engage with others, you know, and, and what is in our control and what isn't our control. This is something that I found in my research that has been talked about for millennia. And in my research, I was introduced to Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher who talks about you know, if something is not in our control, I don't have his words directly to quote, but he basically says, forget about it and move on. Don't ever think of it again. Holy cow. He's right? got it, man. It was like one sentence, like get over it. And but right? you do write that. It's, I mean, it's more than that. <laughs> it's a little harsh. Yeah. It's a little, little harsh, Epictetus. I, like, do we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater? <laughs> do we? Or is there an opportunity to modify this? Because it's easier said than done. How do we go forward from here? Like, how do we let go? And, and something that I found along that way is that, you know, when we talk about recovery, if recovery is the, you know, kind of goal. Okay. So ultimately through the help of my therapist, through the help of my, my people, I understood that recovery is, you know, the ability to integrate this loss and not let it define my life when a loss does define us and it's it's kind of all we can talk about it's all we want to talk about it is um, all encompassing that is something that is called complicated grief or newly renamed prolonged grief disorder and i i kind of see that as a um quicksand pit you are in that pit i cannot throw you a stick to get you out georgie you are going to need to go find your own amy you're going to find somebody who's a professional and can help extract you from this because it's going to take a lot of a lot of work, a lot of effort because we've kind of wired and rewired our neural pathways to see ourselves and define ourselves by this experience of loss and I didn't want that. 
what I wanted was to be able to figure out how do I move forward with grief and understanding that, oh, wait a minute, when, a, when somebody dies a physical death, we are not hoping that they're going to ring our doorbell. We're not hoping that they're going to come back and, and ha- have an explanation and, and we'll be able to reconcile and return the relationship, right? We know that they have died a physical death and we might hope to see them again in another life, but we do not really hope they're going to ring our doorbell, right? right? But people who are experiencing ambiguous grief and their loved one is still living, we think that very much. We fantasize about it, right? That's very common, I found. And so I began to think, okay, how do I move forward in in my recovery? And what I found was that actually recovery is a place where I'm living as my whole self and I'm okay. I've integrated my grief. But what really surprised me was to discover the entomology of the word recovery. And we use it so often, right? We're all striving for recovery. And I began to think that I didn't want recovery. I wanted something more. And that the entomology of the word recover, recovery comes from, you know, re means again or back to, and then cover is French for uh, like 13th century French cover, cover, I think is how you say it. Um, meaning to hide or conceal. And then from Old English, cover means covert, not openly acknowledged or avowed. And when I read that, Georgie, I just thought, oh my word, yes, this experience has been beyond tumultuous, but I don't want to deny or conceal any parts of me that have come from it. So many gifts have actually come from this experience that I I never would have had without it. And what I found was, you know, for ambiguous grievers or anybody overcoming something, anybody who is able to really own their loss, own their challenge, own their grief, and stand proudly in it, regeneration is a better word. And so I've currently moved beyond recovery, and I'm talking to um, others who are in this space as well about regeneration, which again, the entomology is to be formed or created again, to be spiritually restored, reborn to a better, higher, or more worthy state, to be radically changed for the better. After all of my research and countless interviews with clinicians and people grieving and whether the grief was onset decades ago or a week ago, ultimately striving for the opportunity to lean into our grief, as awful as that sounds, is what I offer as the light of that end at the end of the tunnel, right? That you can emerge from this in that regenerated state, having learned so much and evolved as a person to the point that you may be able to help others going through this experience as well. And, and that's such a beautiful gift in this human existence. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we want that for ourselves and for others? It's why I do this podcast. Like I started out like an angry, like what the heck is going on with our healthcare system? Why did infertility Mm. take this long? And 
you know, and then also my way to pay back me being a crappy uh, <laughs> friend to those who had kids before me and were married um, before me is pay it forward to others. And I think that that pay it forward has been healing for me. It's not too late to take a look. I work with people on kind of on looking at their grief timelines. How many losses have we experienced in our life that have gone unvalidated, unwitnessed, unacknowledged? And, you know, our love, we celebrate our love. We celebrate our beginnings so beautifully. We don't give that same respect to our endings. Um, and I think the more we can help one another embrace our endings, which you've done so beautifully to share your story and, and to help build a platform for others to share theirs and show that endings of things are, are natural parts of life, but also creates a door to, to other beginnings, you know, is that it's never too late to go back and, and honor the loss that you endured and that went unrecognized. So, you know, and I just honor uh, anybody who is stirred with emotion from our conversation and encourage you to look more deeply at where that's coming from, whether it was from the loss of a best friend in middle school or in-laws or whatever the case may be, each and every loss that has impacted you, impacted you because there was love there first and finding a way to honor that in your own way. There are lots of tools where, you know, can help you do that, um, can help you integrate that loss and, and move on. Um, what's the next right thing? And a lot of times the next right thing is going to point to self-care. And sometimes that is canceling on a friend for a walk. And sometimes it isn't, right? But you'll know what to do and really honing into that, that voice inside and learning to trust your innate knowing, your understanding of yourself is how you're going to get through. So, and we can't do it if we're we're surrounded with noise, right? We can't do it if we're scrolling, if we're, you know, flipping through the streaming stations, what have you, getting quiet and present and just taking a minute to say like, what do I need? What do I need? And for anyone who like is going through all this, just, I feel for you. Um, it is really freaking hard. You know, not all of us feel comfortable talking about things. And so hopefully this was a good space and you've gotten so many great ideas from Stephanie and her words of wisdom. The book is so great to read because I will say, if you're not feeling heard, then just get this book and just read it because the words in there, you will feel heard even through the book as like a way to start. So that even could be the next right thing. Because I, I liked how you gave tools, but a lot of it was your story. So someone can feel like less alone in the ambiguous grief. Like, thank you so this much. Is great. <laughs> I so appreciate you having me. And, and thank you again for doing the important work you're doing to bring these important topics um, out into the light so that we can help one another through. Thank awesome. you so much.